Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Your regular financial contributions make it possible for Beth Emanuel to make D. Thomas Lancaster's weekly sermons available online. We genuinely appreciate your support and hope that you are blessed by these teachings. Feel free to download these audio files and share them with your friends and family. Please consider joining Beth Emanuel's extended virtual family and support our efforts for the kingdom with a gift by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmanuel.org. My father used to work for ministries that could, su- could not support workers. That is to say, he went out to mission fields without missionary support, and he pastored churches that could not afford pastors. He said, Social security and health insurance were among the developments that brought to an end the era of pastors who accepted calls to ministries that lacked support. In our day, when security is so important, we have mostly lost the breed of pastors who had the wonderful privilege of seeing God do miracles. We were among the last of those pastors and missionaries who went out by faith, trusting God. That was a common term in those days. They followed a model of service to the kingdom based on the example of heroes like George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, and the apostles who went out with only a staff in their hand, the sandals on their feet, and the cloak on their back, trusting God to provide for them along the way because the workman is worth his hire. My father often told me about the early days of his ministry, how as a young pastor with his young family, living far below the poverty line, he and my mother relied daily upon God's miraculous provision and how God rewarded their faith with miracles which most people might find difficult to believe. Many of these miracle stories I chronicled and recorded for posterity in the Torah Club commentary titled, Unrolling the Scroll. For example, My father never tired of telling the story of the time he felt he and my mother needed to help at a vacation Bible school project on a reservation in Manitoba, but they had no money to get there. He prayed, God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Would you mind selling one and giving me the money so that we can make this trip? A dairy farmer a mile away happened to sell his herd. The wife brought my parents $100 from the proceeds of the sale, and they made the trip. For my parents, who at that time were a young couple in their 20s, raising two or three children and also taking care of my mother's younger siblings, every day was an adventure in miracles. God never failed to provide for my family during those lean years. They never had much but they never went hungry. There's one story about an encounter with a rich man that my father often told just for the irony. Once it happened that a missionary family came to stay with my parents for three weeks. My parents had scarcely money to feed their own children, much less for hosting another family. But they did it anyway. God provided for them. My dad said, The Lord provided for us. And one evening at supper, Mr. and Mrs. Correll and Lorraine and I were praising the Lord for supplying so well for us. It probably wasn't fancy at all, but we were not starving. After supper, I went across the road to visit the neighbor. There was a Lincoln sitting in the yard, 
And when I came into the house, they introduced me to a rich relative who had come from Washington State. His first words to me were, Yep, we've been sitting here talking about how hard it is to keep the wolf from the door. In those days, keeping the wolf from the door was idiomatic for making enough income to keep from starving. My father found this remark ironic in that here he had been hosting a family for three weeks without enough income to keep his own family from starving, yet God had provided for them. And they had been spending the evening marveling in God's bounteous provision and praising him for it with gratitude, while his neighbor and this rich man, who had enough money to drive around in a new Lincoln, had been spending the same evening complaining about how hard it was to make ends meet. The lesson is that you don't need to worry about keeping the wolf from the door if you are with the good shepherd who says, I am the door. When Solomon inherited the throne from his father David, the Lord offered him one wish, so to speak. He might have asked for wealth, he might have asked for power, he might have asked for long life, strength, and good health. Solomon preferred wisdom. The Lord rewarded him for the wise choice by granting him the wisdom and the other things as well. Long life, geopolitical power, and fabulous wealth. This story illustrates our master's words, Seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. Solomon, Solomon became not only the wisest man that had ever lived, but one of the wealthiest also. So much so that all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. 1 Kings 10.21 Solomon says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 9. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, would it be so terrible, so very wrong, if the Lord was to make you and I wealthy? At least, modestly wealthy. At least, wealthy enough that you didn't have to worry about keeping up with bills, rent payments, mortgage payments, and other basic obligations. After all, the Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low he also exalts, 1 Samuel 2.7. Why shouldn't he make you rich? God can test us with poverty. Will we trust him in it? But he can also test us with wealth. Will we remember him if we prosper? 
And of course, we would prefer to be tested with the latter rather than the former. But he has not tested many of us with wealth. God has not blessed our community with an abundance of wealthy people. As Paul says, Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, 1 Corinthians 1.26. That means not many rich people. That's not a surprise. One of the early names for our particular sect of Judaism was the Evionim, that is, the poor ones. So it goes with the territory. But that makes it difficult because God has also blessed us with a synagogue in the midst of a fairly wealthy community. When we bought the Presbyterian Church at 828 3rd Street, property values in Hudson were more affordable. We bought the synagogue for less than you would pay for a three-bedroom house in Hudson today. Since then, Hudson's property values have risen disproportionately, making it expensive to maintain a household in the local Hudson community. My heart goes out to those of you who struggle to make rent payments or to those of you who find that your monthly mortgage eats up half or more of your take-home pay And I wish that Hashem would reward you for your commitment to this community by lavishing wealth and financial success upon you. If we had some rich people, we would be able to do some of the stuff, some of the stuff that we have so far only dreamed about, such as building a kosher mikvah, starting a messianic day school, creating a messianic gap year program, planting an outreach congregation and hiring staff to take care of the business of the community. I think of the memorable sentiments expressed in Fiddler on the Roof. Money is the world's curse. May the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. This is a good time to talk about the money problem, because we're coming up on the 40 days of Teshuvah. Rosh Chodesh Elul, the beginning of the 40 days of repentance that culminate in the High Holidays, is just around the corner. During these 40 days, we do our best to rectify what wrongs we may have committed, get back on the straight and narrow path that leads to life, clean up our act, apologize to those we have wronged, make peace with those with whom we have had conflict, and increase in prayer and charity in preparation for the judgment of High Holidays. It's a matter of cramming before the test, which begins on Rosh Hashanah and concludes on Yom Kippur. On Rosh Hashanah, the heavenly court convenes to examine the record of our deeds and issue a verdict. The verdict is sealed on Yom Kippur. One of the issues to be decided on Rosh Hashanah and sealed on Yom Kippur pertains to your personal finances. How did you spend the money that God allotted to you in the previous year? And... How much money will he allot to you in the coming year? Every penny that comes into your hand next year is predetermined during the high holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Therefore, if you want to get rich, now is the time to start making your case before the Lord because the Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low he also exalts, 1 Samuel 2.7. Just remember, King Solomon did not ask for riches. 
When given the opportunity to do so, he declined. He did not ask God for wealth. He asked for wisdom. That was the secret to his success, because wisdom says, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield better than choicest silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of justice, to endow those who love me with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Proverbs 8, 18 to 21. So may God lavish his wisdom upon us, and may wisdom endow us with wealth and fill our treasuries. Our Torah portion discusses wealth and prosperity with promises of extravagant wealth, success, and prosperity to the children of Israel if they will walk in the commandments and keep the Torah. On the one hand, Moses points toward the miraculous abundance of the Messianic era. But more immediately, Moses has in view the prosperity the people of Israel will enjoy in the land of Canaan. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. The Lord will remove from you all sickness and he will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt which you have known, but he will lay them on all those who hate you. Deuteronomy 7, 13 through 15. The land of Canaan, it says, is a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 9. Moreover, the Israelites are not going in as pioneers to develop an uncultivated land. Instead, through conquest, they will be displacing people from an already developed and agriculturally successful land. They will live in great and splendid cities which you did not build and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you will eat and be satisfied. Deuteronomy 6, 10 and 11. It's a recipe for success. Moses knows they will be successful. So he warns them that once they experience this financial success, they will be apt to forget about God. It makes sense. Money and material success allows us to enjoy the benefits of the material world. The material world of this age all around us and all that it has to offer naturally absorbs our attention. And the more of it that we have and have access to, the more of our attention it absorbs. As it absorbs our attention, we lose sight of God. 
When you have everything you need, you no longer feel compelled to rely on God. And it's easy to forget that God is the provider. You may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made this wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Moses explains that God kept the people of Israel poor and needy for 40 years in the wilderness to train them for wealth. He fed them manna daily. He provided provided for them with water from the rock. He kept their shoes and clothing from wearing out all these 40 years they were in the wilderness. In other words, they had no food, they had no water, they had no clothes, they had no shoes, except for God's miraculous day-by-day provision. Moses explains that God was disciplining them, just as a man disciplines his son. Not punishing, but in this case, discipline means training, preparing them. Through the various deprivations of poverty, God was teaching them and training them for the future. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8.3 He urges the children of Israel not to forget the Lord in their wealth. And he gives them one simple rule to ensure that they do not. He tells them, Every time you eat and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord for the land he has given you. In other words, gratitude is a safeguard against the deceits of wealth. King Solomon never asked for wealth. But after experiencing the spiritual numbness that results from wealth, he prayed, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Proverbs 38 and 9. You might think that you aren't in danger of being so rich that you will deny God and say, Who is the Lord? But it's a fact that history proves out. Wealth and success breed spiritual apathy and agnosticism. They make a person haughty and apathetic toward God, and also toward those of lower financial standing. Solomon says, The poor man utters supplications, but the rich man answers roughly. Proverbs 18.23 When we become wealthy, we begin to think of ourselves as untouchable, and we forget about our human vulnerabilities. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own imagination. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Proverbs 18.11 and 12 The wealthy man becomes accustomed to people's flatteries, and he begins to think of himself as wise. Solomon says, The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. Proverbs 28.11 This last proverb reminds me of an occasion when Yonkel the butcher and I were working in the meat market on an Arab Shabbat and a guy in a sports car drove up and parked outside. 
Yonkel was quite excited about the car because it was a new Lamborghini or something like this. And the guy saw us through the window gawking at his car. He comes into the store, a very wealthy Jewish man with diamond rings and expensive clothes, and he's swaggering around and makes some disparaging remarks to us. He says, I saw you looking at my car. You can look, but you'll never afford one like it. I ask him if I can help him find something, and he dismisses me with a wave of his hand. He says, you're not Jewish. Where's the owner? Yonkel offers to help him, but he dismisses him too. He says, I'm looking for a bargain. I don't intend on paying these prices. He goes on to look around the store, tells me to call the owner, and tell the owner that he was in the store and that he should call him back because he wants to buy some meat, but he doesn't want to pay full price. He leaves without buying anything, but he makes it clear that he is big money and we should get our act together. I call the owner and say, so-and-so the rich man was here. He said this and that. He wants you to call him. I'm thinking that the owner is going to call him back because this guy is big money. The owner says to me, let me guess. He told everyone in the store what a big deal he is and then left without spending anything. He doesn't even keep kosher. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. Proverbs 28:11. On the other hand, there was a successful medical doctor who came into the store every Thursday to buy four chickens quartered for his Shabbat meals. He kept a standing order. He was wealthy and successful, a top physician at a big-name hospital. Every time he came in, he was kind, courteous, cheerful, and he would pick up his chickens and some extra items. Whenever I would ring him up, he would always say, What a bargain! What an amazing deal! It wasn't a bargain, and it wasn't an amazing deal. It was kosher meat and groceries, and our prices were higher than St. Louis Park. But he wanted to encourage us, and he could afford to do so. It's not a sin to be rich. God brings the children of Israel into the land of Canaan to prosper them. Wisdom says she wants to endow those who love me with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. But the children of Israel must make the effort to acquire Canaan if they are to benefit from its wealth. Likewise, Solomon needed to acquire wisdom if he was to benefit from its wealth. Everything comes from God's hand. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John 3.27 At the same time, we have to make the effort Beware the religious tendency to use faith in God as a license for laziness and irresponsibility. People fall into the religious trap of using piety, Torah study, or just trusting God as an excuse for indolence and financial irresponsibility. That's not the way the Master taught us. Yeshua spoke about money frequently. He told us to emulate the wise servants who invest wisely and make a profit. He talked about agriculture, crops, investment strategies, and careful stewardship of resources. He taught his disciples to give and to give generously. The apostles warned that a community member who does not work does not eat. In other words, one who does not contribute to the community should not expect to live off the community dole. Yeshua says, the workman is worth his hire. The apostles warn, one who does not provide for his own family is worse than an idolater. Paul says, 
Learn to work with your own hands so that you may live a quiet life without being dependent on anyone. And there are many more passages like this. In Pirkei Avot, it says, Torah study without an occupation leads to sin. The disciples from Capernaum netted fish. Yeshua did carpentry. Paul made tents. John worked in Ephesus, stoking furnaces. Thomas worked as a builder. For those of you who are just starting off, I encourage you, find a thing. Get an occupation. Get the education you need. Make the investments and efforts to do what you have to do in order to support yourselves so that you will have plenty to share with others and to give toward the work of the kingdom. Get wealthy. Get rich if you can. Do whatever is in your power to financially succeed. But when you do succeed, don't forget God. Wealth and poverty are like sickness and health. Both are from the hand of the Lord. And ultimately, we don't control either. Moses emphasizes the point by explaining the vulnerability of the land of Canaan, which is not like Egypt, which was irrigated by the constant water supply of the Nile, but instead drinks rain from heaven. If heaven shuts off the rain, famine will ensue. So Moses warns the people, but the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning even to the end of the year. Deuteronomy 11, 11 and 12. The words, the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning even to the end of the year, refer to one Rosh Hashanah to the next. The Talmud says that the key to rain and the key to Parnassa, that is, God's provision, is the same key. All of the prayers for rain should also be understood as prayers for provision. Moses continues then with the familiar words from the Shema. But understand, the rain is about prosperity. It shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Beware that your hearts are not deceived, and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly. From the good land which the Lord is giving you. Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 17. God's eyes are on us from the beginning of the year to the end as well, and he allots to us all the amount of money we will have to work with on Rosh Hashanah. So the time is now to start talking to God about how much money you're going to need in the coming year and to start proving yourself faithful with that money. Solomon says, Honor the Lord from your wealth 
and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. As disciples, we do not chase after wealth. No one can serve two masters. Solomon says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. We do not weary ourselves chasing wealth. Instead, we store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. We do not chase after wealth. Neither do we shirk our personal responsibilities to provide for ourselves and for our families. We look to God for his provision, and when he provides for us, we thank him and express our gratitude. May God provide all of you with sufficiency to meet your needs. And more than that, may he provide all of you with an abundance so that you can give generously. Our master tells the wealthy, to adopt the humble attitude of the poor. This is what it means when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Luke, he says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But in Matthew's version, Matthew's version of the saying, he includes the rich who have passed the camel through the eye of the needle by living poor in spirit. In other words, living as if they were not rich, so that they can use their money for the kingdom. This is what Solomon says. There is one who pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but the poor hears no rebuke. Proverbs 13, 7, and 8. There's a classic Hasidic story to illustrate the point. It's the secret tzaddik. The secret Sadiq story, which appears in various forms. It goes like this. In a certain town, there is a simple fellow who lives in poverty, or in some cases, it's a person who appears to be a miser who refuses to give to the charity collectors. Upon his death, however, it is discovered that he was quite wealthy and had for all these years been secretly using his money to support the poor and give generously to the Jewish community's needs. Such a person is poor in spirit, that is, one who pretends to be poor, but has great wealth. If you have money, you have plenty of friends. Solomon observes, the poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many, Proverbs 14.20. Wealth adds many friends, but a poor man is separated from his friend, Proverbs 19.4. Why does everyone hate the poor? Because he is going to always be asking for loans and gifts and inviting himself over for meals. Why does everyone love the rich man? Because he is able to give gifts and make loans and invites others to his home for meals. Our master Yeshua teaches us to leverage this phenomenon to our advantage. He says, Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. 
Who are the friends we are to make? In another passage, he explains, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Think of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. If the rich man in this story had attended to Lazarus, who laid at his gate begging, begging for scraps, Lazarus would have been able to receive him into those eternal dwellings in the bosom of Abraham. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Take on my yoke And learn from me And find rest for your soul